Welcome to the Darkened Doorway podcast, your doorway to everything dark, crimey and weird. It was 1963 at 7.45am on New Year's Day in a middle class suburb called Chatswood, New South Wales. Two boys were wandering along the bank of the Lane Cove River collecting lost golf balls when they stumbled upon the body of a man that looked like he was dressed in a suit. It soon became apparent that this was not just another reveller sleeping off New Year's Eve, but a mysterious death, which would become one of the most sensational murder mysteries in Australian history. Close by was the half-naked body of a woman covered with beer cartons. Welcome back, Darklings. This episode, we're going to be talking about the mysterious deaths of Chandler and Gilbert. Now, before we get started, though, we've got some fun news. We've got new mics and equipment. Ooh, <laughs> so fancy. And before we get started as well, I really want to go through something that one of our listeners actually wrote in and told us about our Malcolm Naden story. <laughs> so are you ready for this? I'm very ready for this. This is exciting. <laughs> So this is a really fun anecdote that someone told us, but apparently while Malcolm Naden was on the run still, he was going to this place, which is a cotton farm out in rural Australia. And only two workers actually worked at this cotton farm. And what was happening is Malcolm was hiding in the area and he was going in each day and stealing the workers' lunch. (laughs) But it got to the point where these two workers would go in and they'd go to grab their lunch and someone's lunch would inevitably be missing. And they'd just sit there going, you asshole, you (laughs) ate my lunch. And of course the other person would go, no, I didn't. Like, what are you, you're mental. What are you talking about? I didn't eat your lunch. And they'd be like, yes, you did. Anyway, it got to such a high tension. They were almost like fighting over this. With the fisticuffs. When it actually turns, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) When it actually turns out it was Malcolm Naden stealing their lunches. (laughs) I hope, and, he, and you know he was taking the good lunch. It's not like he was taking the bad one. He was definitely going for the tiny teddies. Yes, 100%, 100%. So that would, would, have, would have made it even funnier because one guy's lunch would be going missing all the time and he was blaming the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Ellie's going to tell us a story today. I am. So today we're going to talk about the mysterious murder or was it of Dr. Bogle and Mrs. Chandler? This is like perfect for the media tabloids of the time. There were two people found dead in most in Lover's Lane along Lane Cove River. And Ooh. they weren't husband and wife either. The scandal. Saucy. So Spill saucy. all the tea. I know. <laughs> so Dr. Bogle or Dr. Gilbert Bogle, he was a CSIRO scientist. So he was studying, he was was actually quite a a well-known scientist and he was Uh quite the looker as well. He was a musician and a linguist. Now, don't do your funny joke about linguists. Was he cunning? (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. I think he was. Cunning linguist? He was quite smart. He was quite smart. Mm, mm, Interesting. (laughs) And Mrs. Chandler was the wife of Mr. Chandler, Mr. Jeffrey Chandler, who also worked Mm -hmm. for the CSIRO as a technician. So they were workmates? Sort of, yeah. They knew each other and they had met before. And before this tragedy, Mrs. Chandler had actually met Mr. Bogle, Dr. Bogle before as well. So let's go back a couple of days or well back to Christmas anyway in 1963 the CSIRO had a staff party it was quite a sedate affair and uh, Dr Bogle was there and this is where he apparently met Margaret Chandler for the first time Mr Chandler was there Mr Dr Bogle's wife was Mm -hmm. there as well he was playing music, being very charming, and uh, apparently all the ladies were enjoying his his skill with the musical instruments, etc. Mm. At one point, Dr. Bogle disappeared with Mrs. Chandler into the bush. Scandalous. Not sure what they did, but certainly they had met at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's when they first met. Now, Mr. Chandler, after that party, had said to his wife, if you like Dr. Bogle and you want to hook up with him, I'm okay with that. 
Oh, okay. That's an interesting thing. Yes, I see your <laughs> eyebrows. <laughs> so it turns out that Mr. Chandler and Mrs. Chandler were part of the Sydney Push, which was a group or a set of beliefs that um, during the early years in, in Sydney, 1960s, it was the very beginning of that sort of free love kind of movement. Okay. And they believe that you do what you want, basically. You love who you want to love. You can still be in a committed marriage, mm -hmm. and uh, but it's sort of that open marriage style. Each to their own, that I guess. That was kind of frowned on. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of frowned on in the prudish Sydney at that time. <laughs> but uh, it will it of obviously help to um you know the tabloids loved this stuff like it, they loved the scandal yeah and, and it helped to drive this story to be you know something of legends really well it was pretty unheard of so, wasn't it yeah it was but it was sort of an elitist group as well it it not well it was elitist in the sense that you know only selected sort of people kind of you know hung out together and that sort of thing but it did have you know lawyers and criminals and oh. all sorts of people all mingling together with the same set of beliefs yeah okay and it was you know the hip crowd kind of thing oh it was the cool kids the cool kids that's right it was the cool kids <laughs> the cool kids that happened to be swingers yeah, if you want to call them that. Yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> I don't know what else you'd call it, really. No, no. Uh, it, yeah, I guess it was, you know, put the keys at the in the fruit bowl, isn't it? And you pick up the keys and work mm. out who you want to go with. Yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway, so that was called Sydney Push. And the Chandlers were very, you know, very into this space. Well, at least Mr Chandler was, and he was hoping to get his wife more into this space. So... He said basically oh, okay. he was encouraging his wife to, you know, go with Gilbert uh, so that she could also experience this lifestyle. So I assume that means he had something on the side? Oh, yes, he did. He did indeed. <laughs> and you'll hear shortly how he, you know, spent some time with her during, you know, a certain set of events and she became his okay. alibi big time, which was probably quite so lucky we were for at Mr. A party? Yeah, so that was the Christmas party where they got together. After the Christmas party, they had the discussion about, you know, if you want to get on that, you can. And, um, you know, apparently Mrs Chandler was quite interested in Dr Bogle. And oh. the next time they saw each other was New Year's Eve, so 1963 New Year's Eve, and they were at mm -hmm. another colleague's uh, party. It was the Nash's house, Mr and Mrs Nash, who also worked at CSIRO and knew uh, Dr yeah. Bogle. And the Chandlers wouldn't normally get invited to this space, but Mr. Chandler believed that they were invited because of Dr. Bogle's interest in Mrs. Chandler. So it oh. was a very fancy soiree. Everyone was dressed to the hilt. You so he question? was looking for a bit of a snack, was he? <laughs> Maybe a bit of a snack. Mm, <laughs> bit of a snack. Mm, mm, snack or a shag. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> So it was a very, very, very fancy soiree. soiree. Oh, I can't say it. Soiree. And everyone was dressed to the hilt. They were wearing suits and beautiful dresses. Mrs. Chandler was dressed spectacularly as well. Mm. But Mr. Chandler wasn't. He would kind of had his sandals, possibly socks and sandals. You shouldn't do that. That's not a look. Was he relying on his natural beauty? Oh, possibly, possibly. He was very <laughs> much dressed down in just like a, you know, a, a shirt, collared shirt and, um, you know, and, and slacks rather than the whole dinner suit. And he kind of felt slacks. a little bit out of place. <laughs> slacks, yeah, I like that word. Um, he felt a little bit out of place, but he saw that, you know, he, he stayed for a little while to make sure that uh, Mrs. Chandler, Margaret, was quite comfortable. Mm -hmm. When she arrived, Dr. Bogle had come over to put the name tag on her and helped her with that and, you know, was a little bit flirtatious and Mr. Chandler saw this mm -hmm. as well. Anyway. Whoa, wait up. So, wait, I'm sorry, they were at a party and there were name tags? There were name tags at a party. Yes, wow. there was. That sounds like a riotous party. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> Well, wow. well, they really? did have horse duvers and other snacks. <laughs> okay, uh, what? They had duvets made of horses? <laughs> no, hors d'oeuvres, but it's spelt like that. I say horse duvers. Oh, mm. and canapes. I was like imagining these. <laughs> I was imagining these giant 
duvets or I, I'm sorry they're quilts we're Australian no, um, made of horse and I'm like that is a special kind of fucked up yeah well apparently horse meat is very nutritious but no the horse mm. duvers or the hors d'oeuvres mm-hmm. were not made of horse meat I don't believe yeah no thank you no no <laughs> But champagne, you know, all of the beautiful canapes, this is the sort of party that it was. And it was kind of sedate. And Mr. Chandler kind of didn't feel like this was his space to be. So he said to his wife, have fun. You know, I'm going to go buy some cigarettes. It doesn't sound like he said where he was going, but I'm going to go get some cigarettes. And he took off to another party. I don't blame him. Uh, And the, the other party was you know the sydney push kind of the trendy cool kids party yes it was much more his style i feel like this is a scene out of a hollywood movie (laughs) well it could be (laughs) it could be it was much more liberal um you know it was you know louder music Mm. and probably beer rather than champagne much more fun really fun and (laughs) so he stayed there for about three hours and he hooked up Mm. with his lover as well he Uh had a girlfriend of about five months had been together for quite a while i'm not sure if mrs chandler knew because he didn't say hey i'm popping over to the lover's place but i I think she assumed that he had you know a little bit on the side to be okay with standing they had an understanding they did Mm. so he spent uh most of new year's eve with his lover at the sydney push party while his Mm -hmm. wife was at the nash's house at the party He goes back after about three hours and checks in on his wife and she's having a lovely time. And he says to his wife and to Dr. Bogle, hey, you know, I know that you two kind of like each other. If you want to hook up, why don't you pop back onto our house and I will go somewhere else and, you know, you can get it on, you know. Yeah, mm, not my thing. No, and (laughs) I don't know if Dr. Bogle was into this, but he he had had a previous lover before which ends up being one of the witnesses but anyway oh wow so i don't know if his wife knew his wife wasn't at the party because she was home looking after a sick baby so and mrs chandler asked about that so i feel like that's not cool but okay sure yeah (laughs) it's new year's eve like so you leave you leave your wife at home on new year's eve with a sick baby and go and have your fun yeah like jerk yeah Anyway, he got his come up. Sorry, I know he's the victim, but (laughs) wow. (laughs) So Dr. Bogle and Margaret decide that, you know, all right, well, you know, if Mr. Chandler's cool with this, let's let's give it a red hot crack. So they they hopped in. Yeah, they did try to make it look like they didn't leave at the same time. Um, so, you know, maybe one went out the back door and one went out the front. I don't know. I don't know why they tried to keep it secret, but I guess the Nashes weren't into this free love stuff, um, or the other people at the party Mm. and, you know, you don't want scandal. And it wasn't really acceptable at the time, was it? Like not with the general population? No, no, not at all. So, um. And CSRSO, that's a pretty important government job. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's it's the national science body, basically where all the research mm. for for you know industry and and technology is done. So yeah, it's um yeah it's a big fancy place to be. Mm. Absolutely fancy. Yeah. So they hopped in Dr. Bogle's car and they drive down to Lovers Lane. I'm not sure why they chose to go to Lovers Lane and not back <laughs> to Mr. Chandler's house because Mr. Chandler had made it clear that he was kind of clearing the decks for them to be allowed to go back to their place but yeah and and why would you choose to go and like meet your lover down at a place where people regularly like walk their dogs and they they poop on that and why (laughs) when you have a nice comfy house I don't understand (laughs) well maybe Dr Bogle just really didn't think that Mr Chandler was that into it and maybe he thought that the shining thing would happen you know we'd come and get him or something but I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Fair. Maybe. Okay. I can Maybe. stand by that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I still wouldn't get naked somewhere like that. No, 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 I wouldn't either. <laughs> <laughs> but also, okay, Lane Cove River, it's not exactly the most romantic place. Like that's where mm. people, and on New Year's Eve especially, that's where people go get drunk and oh, wee on I, things. I've never witnessed that. I'm glad you have and you have the inside knowledge. Mm. Not going to mm. ask why you mm. have the inside knowledge. 
<laughs> I'm the insider. <laughs> I am not the weir. Okay. I'm merely a witness on of Lover's Lane. Of the weirs. Hang on a sec. It was not, it is not Lover's Lane anymore. It may have been like 60 years ago, but I assure you, it is not any longer. <laughs> All right. We digress. So. Yes, we do. Dr. Bogle or Gil and Margaret head down to Lover's Lane in the car and get on with the canoodling. So, you know, they're mm. canoodling in the car, but then uh, Peeping Tom, a resident Peeping Tom, just happens to peep and they mm. move on down further, down further down the track. Okay. So, you know, Peep they probably wanted to keep it at a little private, you know, Mr. <laughs> Peeping Tom. We'll get back to Peeping Tom in a minute as well because, okay. you know, he kind of plays an important role too. So anyway, they go down by the river. They drive down a bit further, hop out of the car, then walk into the into the woods and um, get on their canoodling again. So, and that's the last time they ever could canoodle because they I were think... then found dead the next morning. <laughs> I think you're really loving the word canoodle tonight. I do. I've used it's, it a little bit too much. It's but, a great word. Know, I, I have to say, mm -hmm, it doesn't get mm -hmm. used enough in the everyday vernacular. No, it doesn't. It <laughs> Enjoy doesn't. it, listeners. Enjoy it while you can. Yes. Yeah. That's the last that you'll hear of the canoodling. Well, <laughs> oh, no, I might be able to bring it up a bit later. I'll try. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so their bodies were found in the morning. Um, they went down to the river about four o'clock and and then they were found at about 7.45, I think we said, by mm -hmm. uh, two young boys who were looking for lost golf balls down by the river because there's a golf course right near there. Obviously, yeah. there's not just random golf balls that appear by the river. <laughs> and they came across the body of our Dr. Goebel and they found, uh, they thought that he was basically a New Year's Eve reveller that was sleeping off you know, the, the nights, uh, drinking, I guess. Uh, I think and they called the police. Assumption. Yep. They called the police. And when the police arrived, they realized that he was actually dead and that they found mm. Mrs. Chandler nearby. Now, the interesting thing is that our Dr. Goebel was looked like he was still dressed in a suit, but what had happened was somebody had laid out his suit over the top of him, perfectly laid out, like he was wearing the suit properly Wait. But between the suit. And his so he body was, nude. was a piece of carpet. He was semi-nude, yes. So it looks like he took off his bottoms but maybe left on his shirt and then his suit was placed back on him. Oh, like a paper doll kind of thing where you put the dress over <laughs> the top of the... Yeah, okay, yeah. that's interesting. All right. Like really laid out neatly but they put a piece of carpet between his body and the suit. I'm not quite sure okay. why maybe they couldn't find the suit initially and then put the maybe. carpet over I, i'm not sure Did but it was laid out the kids Margaret? actually no they put beer cartons on her and oh. covered her completely with beer cartons okay. like cardboard beer cartons <laughs> yeah i know interesting choice yeah um but yeah but it looked like the kids actually thought that he was fully dressed in a in a suit that's how well the suit was placed on him oh wow so they took some time with it yeah, really made an effort. Okay. Made Odd. sure everything was covered. Mm, I know. And so this kind of, you know, was something that the police kind of focused on. Like, why? Why? Who did this? So there had to have been somebody that was part of, you know, what happened to these two people because mm. there was definitely a third person there because neither one of them could have, you know, laid this out. Maybe Margaret put it over the top of Dr. Goebel and then she got cold and put the the cardboard over herself or something like there was a possibility that's but so when weird though. when you do that you don't put it over your face generally like that's what they were no. thinking that she probably didn't do it and didn't put it over a face yeah but that's you know weird. that's you know maybe they were cold that was all part of this theory but then it was unusual that someone would then put it over their face yeah I feel like that theory is flawed on a lot of levels yeah but it threw them like it mm. really threw them yeah but of course, in a situation where two lovers are found down by a river, the husband is always potentially the murderer. So mm. the, this yeah, is the it. angle that the police <laughs> took. Yep. The police took this angle 
Now, uh, Mr. Chandler had gone to his girlfriend's house um, after he'd given approval to his wife and Dr. Bogle to canoodle. Canoodle. (laughs) There you go. I got to use it again. Yeah. (laughs) And so he then went to his girlfriend's place, woke her up and then went and picked up the kids. Uh, They had two uh, Mrs. Ch- Mr. and Mrs. Chandler had two kids together, mm. a three-year-old and a, and a much younger baby, okay. and um, picked them up from the grandparents' place with the girlfriend. Whose grandparents was it? Was it his parents or was it hers? No, it was hers. It was Mrs. Chandler's. Oh. Yeah. So he, he went to his in-law's house with his girlfriend to pick up their two children. The girlfriend hid. Apparently she kind of hid up oh, the road while he picked classy. up the kids and then jumped in and then, you know, took the kids back to his house. So, um, but she, she supported all of this. Like she actually, they questioned her and, and he said, yeah, 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 that's okay. absolutely what happened. And mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, he, he went back home and cause it had been a big night. He went to bed, the police knock on his door at 10 o'clock in the morning Knock, 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 Mr. Chandler, you know, come down to the, do you know where your wife is? Come down to the station with us. You know, we've got some questions, et cetera. Mm. They were treating him as the murder suspect at this point. And they were, they were pretty rough on him in the sense that they were treating him as if he did it. And they were looking yeah. for his response, basically. So in the interview room, basically all the specter, inspectors and police officers were there they asked him where his wife was and and Mr. Chandler seems to be a little bit of a cold fish and doesn't kind of, he wasn't warm or, you know, he, he just kind of gave off the vibe that he did it, according mm. to the inspector. And the they, he goes, where's your wife? Yeah, <laughs> where's your wife? He said, I don't know, because he was expecting her to be at home. And he, yeah. but, and he also didn't go, oh, yeah, she's off with Dr. Goebel. You know, he didn't, he didn't say that. <laughs> um is like i don't I feel know like that would have been is. frowned upon though like you yeah. probably would come straight out to these you British know hard Sydney. police officers mm. from the 60s who were you know not exactly known for tolerance at that time mm. um or you know being open-minded and maybe you probably wouldn't go hey guys i'm a swinger how you doing <laughs> like mm. maybe not no i don't think so so Mr. Chandler said, I don't know where my wife is. Then the inspector whips out a newspaper because obviously this is this is just gold for the tabloids. Oh, yeah. Two people found New Year's Eve half naked beside the river in Lover's Lane. Like this is gold. Mm. So it was in the newspaper already and obviously Mr. Chandler had been sleeping so he didn't know any of this. They whip out the paper and point to it and goes, this is where your wife is. You know, oh, wow. and, and he didn't react like they expected him to. Like he wasn't sad, he wasn't shocked, he didn't faint, oh. he didn't do any of that. He's just like, okay. Like obviously <laughs> I guess he had that brain freeze moment where he's like, oh, shit, they think I did it, you know, like that sort well, of moment. How do you even process that at that point? No, like I you, know. The idea your wife is now dead, you saw a few mm. hours ago, like I don't think you would react to that or at least some people wouldn't because – you're like what the that's that's not reality no absolutely not and they expected him to react in a particular way they even took him Mm. into the morgue and showed him her body for identification of course and they all lined Mm. up again to watch his reaction they didn't you know how normally they're very respectful where they cover up the body and slowly lift back the face and show you and give you time they didn't do any of that they just laid her out in nakedness and um and got him to walk in and goes you know can you identify this blah 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 and they expected him again to react and he get, he didn't react the way they thought he would he said gosh she's a bit disheveled is what he said so, so they were really looking for the shock value and to see him yeah. be like oh oh my god and stumble backwards yeah 100 percent. so they mm. still thought that he did it uh, at this point and also he's probably really hung over at this point it's oh, yeah. new year's day like, yes, and I'm he's saying, been he canoodling. To, yeah, <laughs> Sorry, he just went to a it. rager. You do love it. Um, <laughs> and he's just been to a rager as well. So he's probably mm-hmm. like totally hungover, trying to process what's happening, thinking yep. how am I going to explain this to the kids and the family? Like, yep. yeah, the writing would have been on the wall and he would have been freaked out. 100%. Well, he said that he didn't, it took him about an hour or so to like 
literally wake up when he was at the police station realize mm. that they were blaming him for it so you know he was yeah he was all all in sorts of trouble <laughs> mm. yeah that doesn't sound like a good new year's day no not at all so he then because the media also have decided that he's the bad guy and they were out to get photos of him. They were out to mm. find him, to talk to him, all of that sort of stuff. They were staking out his workplace. They were staking out his home. He goes into hiding and stays with some friends. Um, you know, they, they were just out to try and, you know, just blast him all over the newspaper. And at that time, yeah, at that time, there was two particular newspapers that were sort of at war with each other and they were both trying to get more spectacular stories every time and they were really working hard. And this was just, like I said, this was gold. This was hmm. story of the century. These bodies had no obvious murder marks on them. They hadn't been strangled. They hadn't been stabbed. They hadn't been shot. They were just bodies that were found beside a river with no obvious no obvious ways that they'd been killed. And it was scandalous. Ghosts. It was definitely ghosts. No, it was ghosts. It was 100% ghosts. Naturally, they became um, very fixated on what it could have been that killed these two. Mm. They got samples, sent it to the, the government toxicology laboratory, and there was one particular toxicologist that was in charge of the whole whole case. He was given blood. He was given um, liver, kidneys, stomach content, all of that sort of stuff. And basically he tested for the normal stuff. Uh, what generally the things that people use are stuff that you can find around the house or easily get your hands on. It's not normally something that is, you know, a exotic. way out wacky kind of um, idea, exotic idea. No, hundred <laughs> percent. It's usually like rat sack and arsenic and, you know, other, other exciting things that yeah. might be other um, drugs, cocaine, heroin, whatever. So he tested for all those. Mm -hmm. And he said, normally within a couple of days, you know, you know what the toxin is. Um, but nothing. Oh. Now the media storm, obviously, the theories are flying around. What possible poisons could it be? You know, people were riding in and then they'd go to the police and say, oh, I know what it is. It's blah, blah, blah. And he worked for CSIRO, which means he would have had access he to some did. seriously interesting things like biochemical yes, warfare things, 100%. right? Yes, chemical warfare, all sorts of stuff that they were thinking about. And wow. now remember too that 1960s was in the height of the Cold War as well. So the international spy theories came into effect as well. Mm. And our Dr. Goebel was working on some pretty interesting technology. He was uh, designing a, it was sort of like a telescope, looking at radio waves in distant okay. galaxies, that sort of thing. But imagine that hitting the paper. He's working on ray guns. Oh, my God. Maybe that's what killed them. It seems very in line with the pop culture of the time. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Mm. There wasn't there, like, hasn't that technology actually been used before, though? Didn't Wasn't there a case of, like, a bunch of people being killed by something like this in the US, I think? Really? Tell me more. What's that? Yeah, there was, maybe that's a story for another week. Um, oh, I'm excited. I just, I heard this thing. I'm just quickly Googling listeners. <laughs> Sorry, I'm cheating. Yeah, there was a, a case which these people died um, and it causes, um, here it says, major wave of brain injuries amongst US diplomats and intelligence officers that took place in China in 2018. And they believed that it may have been the Russians using these devices. Oh. So what it does is it uses a microwave frequency to disrupt brain function, but without any burning sensation. So they didn't even know they were being affected. Ooh. So some of the symptoms are dizziness, loss of balance, nausea, and headache. And it was first identified in Cuba. Anyway, off my sign tangent, back to this one. So back in the 1960s, uh, our Dr. Goebel was working on this this ray gun, as it was called in the media, but it was about looking for uh, distant galaxies using particular radio waves. But that awesome. technology, and same with your microwave technology and all the rest of it, it was the size of a room. So it was a very <laughs> big, you know, you couldn't just pop your laser in your pocket and take it down to the river's edge and, and kill. But that's one of the theories. Not a, not a George Jetson little gun. 
no it could have been you know time travel um yeah. but that was one of the theories because it was during the cold war and he was working for a government laboratory he'd also just resigned as well and was moving to america to work for bell technology so oh. and bell technologies you know they were talking about maybe he's a spy and maybe he's going to sell all this technology to them blah 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 but so was there a theory that csr like was there a theory that the government in australia may have done the attack potentially yeah going. so 100 percent. so that was that was one of the theories that was out there that it was all wow. about this you know international spy and world politics and all sorts of stuff and you know of course it was the russians or of course it was the chinese or of course it was the american government or the australian <laughs> government there was all of these theories that were just spinning around constantly and um and even mr chandler also kind of bought into that fact he thought well that's the only thing that kind of makes sense like you know for him obviously and um and that's assuming that he didn't kill these two which you know mm. as you'll see down the track it wasn't him i'll just be a spoiler alert it wasn't him <laughs> or was it anyway mm. so <laughs> so there were also theories about different toxins as i said and one of the things that was raised was uh, cone shell, you know, the cone shell that tropical Australia, yeah. the, um, or is it the conch, the conch shell? Anyway, it's, um, it's, it, it's the a spotty shell, shell. a spotty shell. It is. <laughs> it's, um, it's an, a tropical shellfish that has a toxin that, um, basically, you know, can kill you. And one of the Chandler's friends was working on the toxin of the cone shell. So that was one of the theories. And she was called in to see whether, you know, they, cause there was no test to tell whether it was, you know, in their, in their uh, organs or anything. So they had to kind of work through that and develop that. But that theory was sort of thrown out too, because it had to have been injected. The venom had to be injected and yeah. basically the venom was really unstable and it had to be refrigerated. So someone had to get close enough to inject these two down at the river. And, and does so they have to milk them to get it? Like, how do you even get it out? <laughs> I've seen cone shells before and they've got like a little stinger that comes out and they, that's yeah. how they get you. Um, but like, I think they'd probably like, just stick a needle it, in it. Oh, so it's not like milking a cat or something. <laughs> milking a cat? That's from a movie. Milking a snake maybe? Maybe they like jab it into the glass mm. vial and yeah, maybe I, I don't movement, know. stabby movement. Well, I'm not sure. Research for later. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so again we digress we apologize yes. so <laughs> so so along this poison theory so the nashes who were the people that uh, hosted the big fancy party or the little fancy party basically their whole house was trash they took all of the leftover food they took all the alcohol they took the glasses oh. anything that could possibly have been used to poison um, or contain the poison so they were also a suspect so the police took all of this stuff yeah yeah which means so that these all... poor people had no leftovers which means they had to cook on new year's I day i know new year's day oh. i know audacity maybe they took just little samples but you know maybe <laughs> i don't think i would be wanting to eat leftovers that the police had said oh there's poison in here because you know <laughs> you don't anyway. know the depths of my laziness when it comes to cooking yeah okay well hopefully there was drive-through in the 1960s probably not don't think so um <laughs> so that was all tested again um and obviously there were there were some other theories about maybe there was lsd that that was the cause or aphrodisiacs all sorts of things were thrown out there so these the poison theories all the different wacky poison theories were uh, just kept coming for years for about mm. three years these different theories kept coming every year the newspaper had put a you know a remembrance of this case the dr bogle and mrs chandler you know it was in it was in the media every single year on the anniversary of their deaths asking for people to come forward and basically wow. traumatizing the families over and over again of course but they oh, were asking geez. for it all to come forward one of the other things that they tested for, which I've forgotten, this is kind of um, important, was uh, they found a receipt for a tapewormer because the oh. the Chandlers were dash hound breeders and they had puppies and Mrs. Chandler cute. had been to, I know, they're so cute, little sausage dogs. 
Mrs. Chandler had been to the breeder to show her some of the puppies that she was proud of and had picked up a new tapewormer, which was, um, you know, to obviously to worm out the dogs. And basically this was the breeder was accused of giving her a poison that she could then poison other people with. And, you know, that was a whole thing as well. The media got hold of this information too. You know, they, they want this scandal that, you know, maybe it's the tapeworm or the poison, blah, blah, blah. And while Mr. Chandler was away, they went and broke into his backyard, grabbed the dashhound puppies, hung them in socks and stuck them on the what? line. So with pegs on the line for a front page photo of these little dashhound puppies, you know, tapewormer kills Dr. Bogle and Mrs. Chandler. Like so, I get they're cute, but why the socks? Like, come on. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you can't tell me that photographer wasn't just having fun that day. Oh, absolutely. But that's mm. the invasion of privacy that all of these people were going through because, you know, it was just the media wars at this point and they didn't have the same kind of lines drawn in the sand that they do today mm. in regards to getting that story. So, yeah, so that was, that, again, another one of those poisons. So random. So I know, I know. So all of these, all of these wacky theories, these international spy theories, all of this stuff sort of, you know, was spiraling around the family. Mr. Chandler did it. Uh, Mrs. B Mrs. Bogle did it. You know, all of that sort of thing. There was also a um, scorned lover of Dr. Goble as well that was potentially the, um, you know, potentially the murderer too. But mm. her her statement was suppressed because you know back in prudish Sydney times in 1960s, no, no, we don't want to we don't want to defame basically Dr. Bogle, that he had another affair with somebody else. But she'd come forward and said that, you know, he he wasn't going to go ahead with the relationship anymore and she was really upset and all this stuff. So she'd come forward basically to say that he was, a, I'm going to say it again, a canoodler of other women. I'm going to try and use that the whole time. So wait, she was shocked that that a married man who was cheating on his wife wouldn't commit to her? <gasps> well, yeah. I never... Because you're the I one that's never. special. All the mistresses. Oh, you're the special one. Yeah, you're different to that you person. You are the you special married one. in front of this yes. entire family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Delusions. Mm hmm. So that was suppressed because of for uh, moral decency. That mm. and there was a lot of things that were suppressed. One of the other things that was suppressed, which is actually really important, is that there was semen on Dr. Goebel's jacket. And you'll find out why jacket, in a sec, why okay. that was so important. Yeah, on his jacket when oh. he was found, when he after he died. So they had suppressed heaps of stuff in the inquest. The inquest went for about two months. It was a really, it was the longest inquest that they've had in Australia at that time about, you know, and, the, and all of the different theories came forward at that point. Anyway, the, um, the toxicologist kept testing all of these wacky samples for like three years. Wow. It got to the point where they'd, were actually running out of samples. The government put a, uh, a reward up for, you know, new theories to help solve this case. And a university professor in Queensland suggested they put forward a, a thing basically to try and get funding for his students. And he put forward the theory that it was LSD. And so oh. he wanted all the samples that obviously, again, the media got hold of this story and, uh, you know, it's LSD. The university stuffed up and actually said that they found LSD in one of the first samples, but they didn't when they retested. There was no LSD found. Okay. And also basically for people to die from LSD, it takes like 200 doses and, you know, there just wasn't anything found that could, could link to that. I also want to ask Question. is how did the LSD get into the sample or did they just not want to look into that one too deep? It is a uni <laughs> campus after all. <laughs> <laughs> the students studying LSD. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Studying for science. Yes, science. Yeah, it's for science. It's okay if it's for science. Yeah, that's it. Yes. So after this, all of the samples have been used. Uh, and basically the toxicologist who is a pretty proud guy, he was at his wits end and, you know, so long this case had been going on to the point where I think he had a bit of a breakdown. He was driving across the Harbour Bridge on his way home and he just stopped in the middle of the bridge and got out of his car, kind of in a bit of a daze thinking about the case and walked into the path of oncoming traffic. Oh, shit. 
Luckily, he wasn't hit. There was some friends that were traveling behind him that saw this happen. They kind of bundled him up and and took him away. And um, he left his job the next day and started working for private industry once he'd kind of recovered a little bit. So he was just done. Yeah, done. It was just too much. So years and years go by. You know, the media sensation is still kind of coming up and these poor families, you know, the Nashes that held the party Mm. are accused of being, you know, illicit drug dealers and, you know, swingers and all sorts of stuff. So I'm assuming that would affect their, you know, their whole life and their social status. Mm. Mrs. Nash actually ends up getting cancer and dying and then Mr. Nash then apparently kills himself. Oh, my God, that's horrible. In the neighbor's property. I know. So this this stuff, this drawn out mystery affected so many lives, not to mention Mr. Chandler and his partner, his girlfriend of the time she left and went somewhere else. The kids, the kids. Can you imagine, Mm. you know, the three year old remembered his mum just a little bit. But and going to school as well. Hundred percent. Like all the other kids would be like teasing them. And oh, yeah having the surname Chandler or having the surname Bogle because this was in the media all the time and it kept coming up Mm. on the anniversary of the deaths and all that sort of stuff just kept coming up and it was just like it would have been terrible and Mr Chandler obviously was accused of being the murderer the breeder of the dash hounds was accused of being part of it you know the police also couldn't (laughs) solve this case and they were accused of bungling it the media obviously were Mm. also all you know getting in trouble for all these random stories and all the rest of it. And obviously the students were playing with LSD in Queensland. Um, (laughs) They got their grant. So got to keep busy. Yeah, 100%. Let's fast forward more than 40 years. So this went on for this amount of time. It was a cold case or an open case for that amount of time. Step into the scene, a filmmaker named Peter Butt. I do love his last name. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not laughing at the name. I'm more mature than that. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I believe you. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. So he starts to look into the mystery of our Dr. Bogle and Mrs. Chandler because it was such a mystery for so many years in Australia. Now, he starts interviewing people. He reaches out to Mr. Chandler. Mr. Chandler is very open and discusses the whole situation Um, talks to um, other family members he talks to the family of the greyhound trainer um, and he also talks to the toxicologist oh did I not mention the greyhound trainer the greyhound trainer oh okay I forgot to mention him so the greyhound trainer was um, was known to walk along the lover's lane training his dogs this is back so in the 1960s he also yeah. would train his dogs on the golf course illegally and, um, and you know, he wasn't supposed to do that. But he was known to so walk his area. that was the dog area. poop I was talking about. Yeah, the dog poop, yeah. He was known to walk the area where Dr Bogle and Mrs Chandler were found and he was known to be a bit of a prude. So he didn't like okay. nakedness very much at all. His children, if they were ever like pants free or shirt free or whatever, would get a big smack because, and they'd get in big trouble from him because he was not about the nude. So, so he's a never nude. (laughs) A never nude? What's a never nude? Yeah. He's a never nude. Someone who's never nude. And they always go like have a shower wearing denim cutoffs. (laughs) My arrested development fans will know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. He shall ever be known as the never nude right now. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So Sorry, our... continue. <laughs> Sorry. And we do know that dog walkers are always the ones that find bodies, right? Like they're an important part yeah. of, of murder mysteries. Mm. Anyway. It's an establishment. Mm-hmm. So in the paper, the paper had actually um, had someone come forward and say that they'd seen a particular car and they described the car. And our Greyhound trainer came forward like about a week later and said, yes, that was my car, but I didn't walk along that walkway. I went, you know, a different way, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the theory is that he was actually the one that covered up our our oh. bodies there because uh, being Mr. Never Nude, <laughs> his dogs possibly came across them and then, you know, being such a prude that he was, 
he's covered them up neatly. I'm guessing it went something like him screaming, no, you must never be nude and threw bloody beer boxes at this poor woman (laughs) and used dirty carpet. at this man and then they're like no no we must we must maintain his dignity because he is a man and we'll lay out out his suit (laughs) weirdly like a dress-up paper doll that's yeah completely normal Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anyway he said he didn't do it and our peeping tom as well said he didn't do it and the police also said that our peeping tom couldn't have possibly done it because he was one armed he only had one arm so, you know, they reckon that he couldn't lay it out so neatly. Well, also, he's not an ever nude. He's quite happy with the nude. So, to me, it's Yeah, he the was never peeping nude. at the nude. Mm, the never nude would be more insulted mm. by that. Yes. Remind me to come back to our greyhound trainer too because another witness comes forward to to tell us something about that. So back to Mr. Peter Butt, he, the filmmaker, he's interviewed, I see you smiling because I said butt. Um, (laughs) You are so so mature, mature. don't mind me. So Mr. Peter Butt um, started to interview a whole bunch of different people and he kind of took it a different way. He spoke to the inspectors that were involved in the case and all sorts of stuff. And he also spoke to the toxicologist, the government toxicologist. And when he did, the toxicologist said, what took you so long? No one had spoken to this man in more than 40 years. And, you know, he wasn't part of the inquest or anything like that. And through Peter's interviewing with different people, He also had access to the court records and the stuff that was suppressed as well. So he said to the toxicologist that, oh, and there was semen on the coat of Dr. Goebel. So, and he was like, what? I didn't know that there was semen on the coat. That tells me that that man was actually quite conscious when he got to the river. So he must have been, you know, quite with it. And it's unlikely that any of the poisons that I had to bloody test for could have been part of part of what happened because most mm. of those toxins actually work reasonably quickly and there's no way that he could have driven from the party if he if he took it at the party and driven to the river mm. and then been overcome because there's oh no I just said come because there was that on his shirt on his <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry oh my god I didn't even pick up that <laughs> so <laughs> I'm very sorry. Focus. mm, Focus. mm -hmm. But he said if he had have known about the semen, he would have ruled out a whole bunch of other toxins and, you know, being able to like it just would have saved so much time because, you know, that told him that he was able to ready canoodle, which meant that he was um, quite conscious at the time. (laughs) I'm banning you. I'm banning you from that word. No, don't take it away. (laughs) so they got talking and he basically said let me tell you the whole story I you know I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start and finish and then you know then we'll then we'll talk just let me do this let me tell you what I what I did and what the theories happened because this obviously was quite traumatic for him because you know he'd obviously had that bit of a breakdown or whatever it was So he starts talking and then he talks about the color of the blood. He goes, one thing that's always caught me was that the blood had this purple color to it. And the filmmakers like, huh, that's interesting. Because obviously 40 years down the track, we've got, you know, we've got access to more information now. We've got internet, we've got all sorts of stuff. Mm. And it made him start to think about what else could it have been? And the toxicologist had talked about this purplish tint to the blood and to his supervisor. And he tried to look it up in the in the library, but he's probably using microfiche and all sorts of stuff. And there was no obvious cases and no real reason. So he kind of just left that. But now 40 years on, this blue, this purple hint to the blood is something that caught Peter's Hmm the filmmaker's attention because he was thinking about like, oh gosh, maybe it was something else. Like we know that carbon monoxide makes things go bright pink or kind of like a muddy pink color. So what else could it be? And he thought about what are we missing? What's the other witness to this story? And he goes, the other witness is the river. We need to ask the river what it saw or what, you know, what else could have been there. 
um okay he's definitely on lsd <laughs> no he's a very he's clever man <laughs> it's a very if he's clever talking man to the river and it's talking back that is the lsd buddy <laughs> my friend no no it's not he's just a very clever man that is all about <laughs> investigative journalism oh or he could be pocahontas who knows oh, okay it's tangent time i see <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'll focus okay yep. good good excellent okay so the river <laughs> what can the river tell us so we know that this river has had a bit of a history of problems through the years. He talks to the river authority, somebody that knows about the river, and he asks them about the history. And he said how that it was quite a polluted river. In the early days, it was, you know, a beautiful, clear river that was sort of the center of society and everyone would canoe and I didn't say canoodle and picnic. And it was a beautiful, clear fairy tale kind of river. So it was kind of like how all the rivers looked when COVID hit and all the humans got locked up and had to wear muzzles. 100%. That's exactly what it mm. looked like. <laughs> nice. So then industry comes along and industry starts pumping their gunk into the river. So there was a flower factory that was just down the river from where our two died, just down a little bit further, like within the kilometre. And it was a flower factory and it would pump all of its sulfurous waste into the river and that um, would settle on the bottom of the river. And because of the, the sulfur, it would create anaerobic environment and you'd get these weird algal blooms and these weird um, different bugs that would live in this anaerobic environment. And I'm guessing and there were, the wasn't river any, um, went, I'm guessing there wasn't any environmental kind of rules and stuff at the time or governance no no not at all not at all and and you know industry was it was all about industry mm. then you know moving forward making money that sort of thing environmentalism didn't really come into mm. it at that point so all of this gunk is being pumped yeah. into the river sludge and gunk turned this beautiful river into something that really wasn't very healthy people talk about smelling a like a rotten gas, a rotten egg smell, like a, the sulfur smell. They could smell that in the houses nearby mm. the river um, around the 1930s. They even talked about their houses, the paint on their houses going black along Nasty. the river. And they're finding their children gasping for breath Aww. in the middle of the night. Uh, and so the, the government knew about something was happening with the river. But, and they even talked about moving people away from there, making it an uninhabitable area and moving people back away from the river. Rather than addressing the actual problem. Nice. Good job, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so uh, there was this, there was a real problem with the river. There'd been a large number of fish mm. kills as well. So like 5 million fish Jeez. or something ridiculous were found in yeah. that area. They'd put a weir in to help address the flooding in, in, in the river and that actually made things worse because the river couldn't flush So it's properly. like a dam a weir. So what they found is, yeah, that's right. It's sort of that dam. It's to control the okay. flow of water. And what they found is, is when the tide came in, it would pick up this muck and push it up towards the weir and all the fish would swim in front of it and then be gasping for air. And there was stories of eels trying to leap the Aww. weir to get out of that, you know, the, the killer water, basically. It would only happen occasionally. But they, um, they, there was talk of, they called it the Rainbow River because it would go, black and then it would go green and then it'd go orange and then it'd go white like and the river would yeah, just change i don't color. think that's a good thing no i think that's a bad thing 100 <laughs> percent. i'm guessing the algae blooms as well would have put some pretty mad colors in there as well yes 100 percent. and there was the river actually would explode the bottom of the river would actually bubble wow. and explode and you know release all of this horrible mm. gas which is that eggy kind of gas. There was also stories of people dying along the river. There was uh, a, a jamboree, a scout jamboree, and they were having a, you know, the, the big get together down by the river against government recommendations mm. because of, you know, the state of the yeah. river. There was a little kitchen that was built beside the river and one of the scout members, uh, the young kids died in the, 
in the kitchen oh. area because it's an enclosed area from something some gaseous oh substance God. and people talked about that rotten gas smell and there was another one that died he um when he hopped into the water he kind of said that he didn't feel very well and then his body was found oh my in the God. river so this river had been involved in deaths yeah. previously not only fish but Those people too and kids gasping for breath and all oh. sorts of stuff so there's something to do with this river here and it's all mangrove area as well so mangroves have been known to be um to create uh, hydrogen sulfide gas because it's the rotting vegetation that happens but when you add this sulfur based substance and pollutant into the river and this anaerobic environment you can imagine this turns into this huge potential disaster for people and they talk about it being explosions of gas so it'd be bad sometimes and not as bad at other times yeah, okay now unfortunately for our two lovers they were down by the river at just after one of those algal blooms and explosions had happened and the, there actually had been a fish kill a little bit before mm. as well so they were down by the river during a time when the river was particularly not okay and what we've learned since is that hydrogen sulfide gas you can smell it at low concentrations so you know five parts per million you smell that rotten egg yes yeah. um but as it starts the the concentration increases so up to that 50 parts per million 150 parts per million it actually anesthetizes your nostrils oh. so you can't smell it so anymore. it becomes more dangerous and then as it becomes even Oh. Yeah, and as it gets more concentrated, not only can't you smell it, but it basically turns off your brain's ability to uh, to use oxygen. It's like putting a plastic bag around your brain. Oh. Like this is what one of the, the scientists talked about, so that there's oxygen there, but your brain can't tell you how oh, to wow. use it. And then you stumble around, you might bump your nose on a stick and get a little abrasion on your nose like we saw on Mrs Chandler you'll get mud on your knees because you're stumbling around and um, then you might just collapse very very quickly well that's a bit terrifying it is a little bit terrifying isn't it so they wouldn't have seen any of this gas like there's no like color or no color like anything that would indicate that it was there to them if it was at that higher level no that's right and they did speak to some witnesses in the area uh, and this is our filmmaker talking to some witnesses there was um some cars parked up along a bit higher up the bank and yeah. they talked about smelling this rotten gas and we also know that the police divers wouldn't get in the water for 11 days after the finding uh, mr chandler and, and dr bogle because the river was so toxic oh. so they didn't jump in that water for a very long time <laughs> 11 days so but that information didn't get to the toxicologist either i can't blame them. so all of no <laughs> no and they were jumping in there to look for syringes and guns and all sorts mm. of stuff in there obviously but 11 days after because the river was so toxic wow so there hasn't been a final inquest into into this but this is the running theory now and we also have discovered some other things now hydrogen sulfide is also heavier than air okay and when it's cold it sort of just hangs about so at 4am in the morning when our two lovebirds were down by the river, it would have been pooling in, in and around down low near the river. Yeah, wow. And what I think has happened is that our peeping Tom has gotten our Mr. Our Dr. Bogle and Mrs. Chandler to be a bit, you know, a bit nervous about Mr. Peeping Tom and they've gone down really close to the river. They probably could smell the rotten egg gas as they walk down towards the water and then down they were right down on the edge of the water where and the the bank of the river was kind of created this natural bowl mm. and the filmmaker took um the scientific expert to the area to have a look at it and he was like 100 this was like a death bowl with the right environmental um you know no wind cold mm. still morning it would have just pulled in this they were space. probably really relieved that they weren't smelling the egg smell anymore that's the kicker oh yeah and they would have moved away from yeah. it too wouldn't they in and not knowing it yeah. they would have got into like an area of like much bigger danger 
Yeah, 100%. And it was really private. So yeah, that's a good theory too. Mm. So this is the running theory. And obviously the filmmaker has told the family this and there's a lot of relief from um, with the family knowing that this is the most likely answer to the death of these two people. Mm. And hopefully there'll be a closure a proper closure with a better inquest uh, down the track i reckon mr chandler's probably relieved as well because it's uh, you know it's a theory that isn't the husband did it kind of thing oh yeah 100 so it takes the and focus off the him kids. a little bit more yeah yeah and imagine the kids living with their potential mother's murderer like you mm. know that's that would have been really difficult mm. too but he was definitely he was cleared from all that wasn't he well yes and no it just kind of hung in the air so they couldn't they oh. couldn't pin it on him uh, and there was no evidence to to actually confirm that there was only about 30 minutes where his his where he was wasn't accounted for by his girlfriend and by other people at parties and stuff so they kind of ruled it out did he ever release a statement he did he also wrote a book as well yeah okay cool what was the book called i can't remember do you remember it was i think it was something like i didn't do it (laughs) um uh it was called so you think i did it you think I did it okay so and we'll pop the link down further in in our in Facebook or TikTok as well um probably just Facebook because I'm lazy yeah okay fair enough (laughs) (laughs) so that's a bit of a wild story isn't it it is and more people came forward so once the once the film was announced there was another witness that came forward which kind of links our our greyhound trainer in a little bit so Mr. Oh. Mr. Prudy Prude. And the reason, so the sus, the not suspects, they weren't suspects. This, this is a woman that came forward that says that she found Mrs. Chandler's handbag along the river a couple of days after the death was in the newspaper. And she and her sister okay. ran home to her mum and went, Mum, Mum, we've solved the murder. Look, we've got found Mrs. Chandler's handbag. And mum being really worried that, you know, they're going to be implemented or a murder is going to come after her because her husband was away. He was a, a like a, a maritime, he was away, he was a sailor anyway. And she was really worried that the murder is going to come after her and her family while her husband's away. So she threw the bag out. Oh, shit. But in the bag, yeah. <laughs> but in the bag was her purse with her ID and everything like that. Yeah. And our filmmaker said to the woman, where did you find this bag? And he got her to take her to where the bag was found. And the bag was found along the bush track down about 400 metres down further and where there was a house or an abandoned house anyway. And when he looked at the title deeds of who lived in that house back in the 1960s, it was actually a relative of our greyhound trainer. So the theory is he covered the bodies and he took the handbag um, down with him. There was probably some money in the handbag and he took the, took the money out and then just discarded the handbag in the bush wow. as he was taking his dogs down in his normal path of where he walks. Very suspicious. So very suspicious. That trainer has also died since mm-hmm. and his family did an obituary of him in uh, in a magazine about about his life and, and times and they talked about how he talked about finding the body of Dr Bogle and Mrs Chandler wow. and covering them up. So that was in the obituary that the filmmaker found. Yeah. So that kind of ties that up and gets our peeping Tom, our one-armed peeping Tom off the hook. And it also talks about, you know, obviously it kind of clears up some of that story. Mm. But it was that it was that funny time when people didn't want to come forward and say that they saw it because he thought he was going to get in trouble. The mum thought that she was going to get murdered oh by somebody. You know, like it was just all part of that. Hey, there was a lot know, of part fear of though mystery. going around with the whole, you know, Cold War and I guess um, yeah. I don't want to say a lack of education, but like a reduction in the available education to a lot of people because there wasn't yeah, a, lot of, a lot of that support out there at the time, especially if you weren't, you know, 100%. from the richer echelons of society. Yeah. But, yeah, yes. well, that's yeah. crazy. So it'll be interesting to see if they ever come out with a formal, a formal end to the case. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I couldn't find anything formal. The film was really mm. interesting. So, I, as I said, I will pop the link in in there. And um, there's also Lovely. a podcast based on that. They'll give you even more detail as well. So, I'll put the link into our our Facebook page as well. Because if you like, I just found it so fascinating the science behind all of this and. You know, just just the <laughs> dip back in history of you know the the different attitudes and and you know the different societies that were in Sydney at the time. Uh, it was just it was this was a great one. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed this story. <laughs> and yes, I feel terrible for the family and I feel terrible for the victims. But you know, I think we know who did it now. It was the river. Oh. It was a serial killer river. Or at least it could have been those people <laughs> that decided to pump all that stuff into the river. Maybe they should be maybe held accountable for that. But, you know, I'm not in the 1960s, maybe. so I can't help them with that now. <laughs> no, no. I didn't mention either that the government then got them to, in the 1940s, got them to pump it into the sewer system, did I? Did I talk about that? And how in, during big rains the sewer system uh, pressure valve would pop and then the river would be filled with sewer and oh. industrial waste. Oh, no. Yeah. That's so nasty. Yeah, yeah. And so it made it why... so much better. <laughs> and that's why you can no longer <laughs> eat fish that you get out of the harbour and rivers. But anyway, that's a story <laughs> for another time. Well, yes, it is. If that's everything for this evening, I'm going to have to say thanks for joining us again, Darklings. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Leave us a comment about what you think about the episode or if you have a theory. And until next time, bye, bye, bye.